I'm going to tell you a little bit about Jesus today and a little bit about what it means to follow him. But, but here's the thing. The picture I'm going to present of Jesus is not the kind of picture that I would present. Um, the picture of following Jesus is not the kind of picture I would present if I was trying to persuade people to follow Jesus. Um, I'm just going to tell you about him. D- don't get me wrong. Uh, I love Jesus, and to me, there's no one else I'd rather follow. Uh, and I'm going to give you an opportunity, too, at the end, to respond as we, as we take communion together. But really, selling stuff, not my bag. And, and I feel like I'm in good company, the, the best company, actually, because if you look at the Gospels, Jesus isn't trying to sell you anything either. As much as he wants to connect with people and to be in relationship with them, it sometimes seems as though Jesus is even... He's almost trying to dissuade people from following him. You know, not really, but he's certainly very candid. He just tells truth. You know, he tells truth about who he is. He tells truth about what the world is like. And, and he very clearly spells out what the cost is of following him. And, and sometimes as the church, I, I feel like we can sometimes be guilty of, you know, trying to, you know, polish up. Christianity, so it'll look nice and attractive, you know, nice and attractive for the pagans. Um, but Jesus never does that. He never, he really doesn't. And if you've been with us over the last number of Sundays, you'll know we've been studying um, what are called the Beatitudes here. Um, and, and we're going to look briefly at the Beatitudes today, but from a particular angle. Because uh, typically when we, when we read them, um, we, we look at them kind of as an isolated bit of wisdom, and they're worth studying that way. But I want to I look at them a little bit in their context. I want to zoom out a little bit. Where did they come from? What, what made Jesus decide to say that at that very point? So, so let's read. The, the Beatitudes start at Matthew chapter 5, but I'm actually going to back up a few verses, and I'm going to start reading at Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse 23. And then I'm going to go in through, into chapter 5 through the Beatitudes. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people were brought to him, who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, the word of the Lord so far. Um, but, But see, he had been... Up to the end of, of, of chapter 4, he'd been preaching dynamically all over the area, and he'd been healing people all over the place. And so as you can imagine, this had attracted some attention. People were starting to take notice. They, they, they sensed that, that here was a, a great something that was afoot, you know, and crowds started to gather. You know, even as, even as, as nowadays, when, when there are tremendous happenings among God's people, when God's people gather, you know, if there are churches that are known for their, you know, great music or, or dynamic, engaging preaching or other cool, unique uh, media programs or other things, these places become these sort of Christian meccas, um, like, you know, even some of the larger churches locally or, or further afield, some of these big, big churches like Hillsong or Bethel or Saddleback or Willow Creek. And similarly, churches with miraculous signs, you know, healings and other supernatural phenomena, they become places of religious pilgrimage as well. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with this. You know, we view these things, um, in some cases quite rightly, as evidences of God's moving in this world. And as such, you know, they, they buoy up our faith. Indeed, I suspect that that is why God sometimes chooses to move in this kind of way. The problem, however, is when we focus on these things as ends in and of themselves, rather than serving uh, a much greater ultimate end, namely God and his will for the world. The problem is when we mistake these kinds of experiences for a life lived for Christ in service of his kingdom. Because these things are good, like I said, but they're they're not meant to be where we dwell as followers of the way of Jesus. The, they're, they're intended to be encouragement. They're intended to be fuel for the journey, but you don't live at the gas station. The purpose of the gas station, the purpose of the fuel, is to get us back out on the road, on the journey where we belong. See, Jesus gets, sees people getting caught up in the miracles and in the hype. You know, if he had been trying to sell them whatever it was I was trying to sell in in, in college, he would have sort of kept on going because he was drawing the crowds. But Jesus sees this going on. The passage says, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain to preach. That is, seeing the crowds, all these hangers on, he feels the need to set people straight. He doesn't want to just sort of play Pied Piper and have people, you know, following along behind him and thinking well of him. Jesus isn't trying to sell anything. You can almost hear a warning tone in his voice as he preaches these beatitudes. He wants them to know what he is truly about and therefore what they are truly to be about if they're they're wanting to follow him. Christ is letting us know, he's warning us that with him things are backwards, things are upside down. Therefore, it's, it's the poor who are blessed. It's the mourners, it's the meek, it's the persecuted who are 
according to Jesus, living the blessed life. Jesus is telling these folks, you know, it's a mixed group, some of whom would have been um, sort of sold out followers, but some of whom would have just been curious, some of whom would have been hangers on, some would have been seekers, but Jesus is telling them all that following him, he's telling them up front, it's not going to be all miracles and, and, and mountaintop vista experiences and celebrity. He's telling everyone, he's letting everyone know, saints, sinners, seekers alike, that a life of following him is a life of self-surrender. He's letting them know before they get too attached just what it is that they're signing up for. You know, and, and God help us. We, we, we so often miss this in large and small ways. We Christians can be guilty of wanting the power and wanting comfort, the, the, the comfort of our you know, respectable social circles, the, the comfort of our smug self-righteousness, the comfort of our preferred politics, whatever they might be. But then, then again, so did Jesus' disciples back then, and that's why Jesus was forever reminding them about it. In addition to, to his preaching, the Beatitudes, you know, a few chapters later in, in Matthew 16, Jesus is foretelling his death. And, and this is after the Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders of his day, went up to him and demanded a sign, you know. If you're from God, show us a sign. And, and Jesus says, no. He, he simply says, no. That's not what I'm about. And then when, when he has the disciples alone... He says, guys, I'm actually going to die. Far from sort of cementing my celebrity status in that kind of way, I'm actually going to die. You know, Peter takes Jesus aside and, and says, in essence, you know, come on, man. You know, enough with the, with the death talk. You're not going to die. You're the Messiah. And, and Jesus, <laughs> Jesus rebukes Peter uh, pretty harshly at that if you look at the passage. And then he goes on to say that anyone who wants to follow him will have to take up their own cross and pour themselves out daily. And if we wish to follow Jesus, that's what we have to do. We must do what he does. That's what it means to follow him. And then again in Matthew 20, so a few chapters after that, James and John come to Jesus and, uh, you know, they say, you know, Jesus, um, you know, when your kingdom is established, we want to be, you know, we want to be the guys. You know, we want to be your lieutenants. We want to be, you know, left hand, right hand side. We want to be your guys. We want to be in the places of power. And the passage says in Matthew 20 that, that the other disciples, when they heard about this, they were indignant, um, quite possibly because they beat them to the punch. Uh, and that's what they actually wanted themselves. But, but at any rate, Jesus once again has to be, okay, guys, you know, come on. Let's, let's get together and, and let's, let's talk about this. The rest of the world uses power as a weapon, lording it over each other. But if you want to follow me, that's not to be the way. If you want to follow me, you will spend yourselves in service of the world and in service of each other. 
And then again, on the night before he's betrayed, in the upper room, at that last supper, if you don't know the story, I'm sure most of you have at least seen the painting. In the course of that last supper, Jesus goes to wash his disciples' feet, um, as portrayed in the poem we heard earlier. And this was a lowly job. This was a, this was a job for the, the servant to do. And Peter, again, you know, bless him, um, says, Jesus, this isn't right. Don't do this. This is, this, is not, this is not what someone in your position should be doing. And Jesus says to him, he says, no. He says, no, this is what I have to do. In fact, if you want any part of me, Jesus says, I have to do this for you. What Jesus is saying is, look, Peter, this is who I am. You take me or leave me. This is what I'm about. I am about serving. I am about spending myself in service of others. And he goes on to say that if you're going to follow me, that's what you need to be about too. That's what you need to be spending yourself on too. Service of others. And, you know, Peter eventually comes around. And then ultimately... On that very first Good Friday, Jesus gives himself up to death. What I would contend, though, this morning is that this was actually inevitable. Jesus was a person who spent himself, who poured himself out so that others could know God. And and that wasn't just in his death on the cross. That was who Jesus was, feeding others, healing others, teaching others, using his power to serve others rather than himself in the face of their need. And so in the face of our ultimate need, reconciliation with God, he spent himself yet again pouring himself out for us. You see, we, all of us, were separated from God by our sin, a a gap that we couldn't close. And the penalty for our rebellion is death. But Jesus, at least for, Jesus, for for all who, who will receive his gift of salvation, paid the penalty for us on the cross. So, So now, for me, Uh, You know, as for a lot of people in this room, for those who follow Jesus, our slate is clean. I I might still be screwed up in a great many ways, but Jesus has taken my guilt. And as bizarre as it might seem, I have a relationship with the God of the universe who loves me more than I could possibly express. And that is why Jesus was crucified. You see, Jesus allowing himself to suffer and to be crucified was the inevitable end of a life spent for others. It was was the inevitable culmination of his values, of his character, of his life. And you see, this this is Jesus' greatest glory that he gave his life for us. 
at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, John is, is given a window. He's given a, a picture of what is going on in heaven. John records that, that all that, is, all that is, is greatest and most glorious in heaven bows down before the resurrected Jesus, symbolized at this point by a lamb, and declares, you are worthy because you were slain. And again, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. This is, this is the actual reality that the, the death of Christ is his greatest glory. God, at his weakest, shows his greatest strength, manifests his greatest power. And, and the, the power of my sin and yours, the power of my guilt and yours, the power even of death itself simply cannot withstand this, this relentless onslaught of unshakable, unstoppable, universe-rocking self-surrender. But, but how often, um, how often have we as his church, those of us who are followers of God, forgotten this, for, failed to live up to this legacy. It's funny, I, I was reading a book um, the other day that reminded me of a film that I saw some time ago. Um, it, it was about Jesus, but it, it wasn't uh, done by Christians, and so there was a lot of, the, there's a lot in the movie that was, that was kind of sideways. But one thing about it that I found really compelling was the scene um, about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he goes to the cross, and in this scene, Satan comes to tempt Jesus one more time. You know, Satan is, is depicted in this particular film as this sort of uh, you know, slick businessman in an expensive suit. And uh, Jesus, he, he tempts Jesus to forego the cross. And he tempts him by pointing out that people will misunderstand the cross. That we're... He, points at, he, he, he tempts him by pointing out that there are going to be times when, when we as his followers are going to fail to even get it. And, and in, the, in the film, it's really interesting. It, it flashes forward as Satan uh, shows Jesus images of the Crusades and the Inquisition and, and prosperity gospel charlatan preachers. You know, Jesus, do you really want to die for that? But Christ, however, rebukes Satan and, and being true to himself and his character goes on to die on the cross. Because while, while Good Friday is in many senses, in, in a great many senses, it's about what Jesus did for us. I was talking with, with Arthur earlier. He was talking about it as a, a semi-truck blowing through the, the gates of hell as the image of what Jesus did for us on the cross. You know, through his death, creating a way for us to be reconciled with God. The cross also, however, serves as a signpost to use as his disciples, as those who would, who would, who would claim allegiance to Christ. He is our Lord. He's the one we claim to follow. So having now been reconciled to God and according with his endless mercy and, and grace, 
are we now prepared to be followers of this way? What does it mean for us to, um, like Jesus, spend ourselves on each other? Pour ourselves out for others so that others, both, both those who do not yet know God and our fellow followers alike, to spend ourselves so that others can know and experience God's love. Are we willing to, again, like Jesus, do this even for those who cannot possibly return the favor? For those who maybe even don't like us? How does Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf steal us to this holy calling, to this, this new life in Christ, to, to the way of the cross? We're going to come to communion in a minute, but, but first of all, I want to lead us together um, in a prayer of confession. And, and after the prayer of confession, um, we're going to have one more poem, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. So um, let's, let's pray. You'll, you'll find the prayer on the, on the screen, um, and I'll, I'll have you read the parts that say all. Lord, we have betrayed you by following our own ways. We have denied you by fearing to follow yours. And we have mocked you by not taking your work on the cross seriously. Lord, we are lost. Let your spirit find us. Hold us in your strong arms and give us your new life. Live in us and with us day by day that together we might live lives that are new. Let us now in silence remember our own faults and failings. Now, as, you have forg- as you've confessed your sins, because of the work of Christ on the cross, I can say, thanks be to God. We are a forgiven people. Amen. Communion. The meal half done, he tore a loaf and filled a cup and blessed them both, then spoke of bread and flesh, of blood and wine, four elements by miracle intertwined. He'd give himself for us, he said. He'd die, then rise, no longer dead, and then would come his kingly reign. He made his death a vow so plain our hearts refused to understand. This is my body, broken for you. This is my blood poured out too. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat, drink, live.
eat, drink, live. This is the new way that we are called to as followers of Christ. This is the body of Christ. This is the bread that represents Christ's body, which he gave when he sacrificed his life on the cross. This is the cup that represents his blood that he shed as payment for our sin, for our rebellion. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward, and and you can maybe come forward down the middle, and there will be people uh, on either side of the table. There are servers who will who will serve you, uh, and you can take a piece of the bread and just dip it in the cup um, and, and, and receive communion that way, and then you can return to your seats via the, the, sides, the sides there. And I just want you to know that if you have yet to, to make that decision to receive God's uh, sacrifice for yourself, if you want to do that, this is a great time to do that. It's a great opportunity to do that. So you can come forward and do that. Um, and for those who have been walking to God, let's use this as a time to commit ourselves afresh to God's way, to this new way, this, 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 this clear signpost of how we are to live as followers of the way of Jesus. Because it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, it's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant in my blood, it's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Paul reminds us that as often as we do this, as often as we take the cup and we take the bread in this way, We remember our Lord's death until such time as he comes again and in coming again makes all things well. Even so come Lord Jesus. This is the body of Christ broken for you. It's the blood of Christ shed for you. Whether you've been following God for 50 years or if this morning is the first time you have heard his name, If you love Jesus and you long to love him more, you are welcome at this table. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So please, come and partake.